for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. On today's episode of Blue Collar Elk Hunting, it's a shared podcast with Jason Holiday of the Harvest Holiday Podcast. On today's show, we start out talking about elk bros, who we are, how we came about, and what we do as elk hunting coaches. Then, y'all, we take off into elk hunting and cover topics from hunting on a budget to where to start finding elk with boots on the ground to simplifying the calling process as well as how success is all about the person behind the equipment. Y'all, it's those topics and much, much more. So, my friends... Pull up a chair, turn your volume up just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by AllGrows.com, with your host, elk hunting coach, Joe Gillick. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Harvest Holiday Podcast. I'm Jason Holiday, and today with me is Joe Gillia. Did I get that right, Joe? Yeah, yeah, you <laughs> nailed it, man. <laughs> uh, awesome, perfect. So Joe is uh, one of the, the founders of the Elk Bros. Uh, not only the Elk Bros, well, it's not really the Elk Bros podcast, uh, but it is elkbros.com, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we, we do everything we can. You know, my last name tries to screw people up. So I decided I might as well hang with everything and try to mess people up. So we have the Blue Collar Elk Hunting podcast that is produced by Elk Bros. We have our website, which is elkbros.com. And uh, we actually on that site, we have our uh, Blue Collar Elk Academy as well. So, you know, we have this Elk Bros thing that's our llc that's our image that's our brand but under that we have the blue collar things going on excellent okay good i'm glad i didn't i didn't 
mash that up too badly then. <laughs> so, so one of the reasons I got you on the show today, um, I've been checking out your guys' Instagram page. I've been following you guys for a while. And uh, we have a mutual friend with uh, Chad Riker from Backcountry Rookies. And he's like, you got to oh, get no, Joe no, on no. there. Yeah, you no, you can't say that, man. I mean, <laughs> that, that, that shows right now that you have a you are a bad judge of character, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I never said I was a good judge of character. I just <laughs> I always like running with the wrong crowd. But no, seriously, um, <laughs> all, all, all joking aside, Chad's a pretty good dude. He's and, awesome. And um, yeah, he's definitely been a huge help. And he's, you know, really for the last year, he's been kind of pushing me to to get you on here. And I'm like, well, let's check him out, you know. So I've been following you guys. You guys got a big group, a tight knit group uh, over there at Elk Bros. Uh, obviously, you got the YouTube channel and everything with your your elk hunts and just some really, you know, it seems like some really great dudes um, that have a lot of years. So um, before we go too deep into, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of what I wanted to talk about, um, maybe kind of again, kind of reintroduce yourself and and talk a little bit about Elk Bros and how it kind of came to be. Yeah, yeah. So um, you definitely want the short story version because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm Joe Gillia, um, an ex-Backwoods redneck uh, from the Carolinas, been out in New Mexico since 1980. Uh, saw my first elk uh, when I was 19. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that started the whole trip from there. And, you know, I, my wife and I were both teachers, coaches, at a, in a small town right here where I live in Cimarron, New Mexico, and taught and coached. I coached for about 34 years, taught for 30 years. Both of us taught in the same school. So coaching is my passion as well as, like I said, I'm that backwards redneck. Man, I was raised in the woods. I mean, that's where I'm most comfortable. That's what I understand. And when I came out here, my wife and I, we got married at a young age, and um, we were 20 years old when we got married. And one of the things that, you know, was a concern as college students going to school is, you know, how do you put food on the table? And, you know, I let my wife know, as long as I have my bow, we're going to be all right. And yeah, so I started uh, hunting deer, saw my first elk when I was 19. I believe I was 19 or 20 when I killed my first elk as well. Because I tell you, when I saw that critter in the woods, I was like, Honey, I'm home, man. Because <laughs> you know, I'm like, why am I chasing squirrels and rabbits and all of this stuff? Yeah. Man? I can fill up a freezer for the winter, you know. So um, that started it all. Um, my my lifelong hunting partner, Leroy Chavis. You'll hear us talk about Chav all the time. Um, Chav is actually my concuño in Spanish. In other words, we're married to sisters. So. Not only is he like my brother-in-law, but he's been my hunting partner, my best friend, my co-coach, mentor. He's been a mentor to me. I've been a mentor to him um, and for 30-some years. So that started our hunting adventure years ago. And since then, I've not only been coaching, but I'm also a professional elk hunting guide. Um, and the rest of the bros that you see there, man, it's... Uh, uh, and you're right, we are tight knit. But the cool thing is, is there's so many different levels of experience there because, you know, Gilbert, big O, uh, is an, a tremendous friend of mine that I actually met as a client. This will be 12 years ago now, man, this hunting season. And when I met Gilbert, um, it's been a 
you know, he came on his first elk hunt ever 12 years ago. So the Gilbert you see today is not the Gilbert that you saw then. The Gilbert you see today is so much different experience-wise, elk knowledge-wise, because, um, and, I mean, conditioning, body, shape-wise as well. When I met him, he was... Man, he was 325, 330 pounds. Wow. And, I mean, a big boy. And um, and that's not the case now. I mean, Gilbert still teases and razzes about round being a shape and this and that. But, you know, this guy works hard to be able to stay with me in the in the Elk Mountains. And because, I mean, you've been there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, uh, like you said, the mountains will humble you quick if you do not come prepared, man. And... Uh, I really think one of the limiting factors for a lot of people out there is the fact that they're not able to take it in the hills and they limit themselves in so many different ways. But so there's Gilbert, who I met 12 years ago, um, Luis and Manano. Uh, Luis, I met. This will be our fifth year hunting together. And, you know, it's so cool because I have been basically guiding, teaching, coaching these guys. And it's so cool to see their evolution and their different type of people you know uh you know gilbert is that gilbert's that a personality man he's the guy that just lights up camp he makes everybody smile he tells those stories and you know he he's, he's just so much fun to have around and then you know luis is this uh he's this engineer with this analytical mind and you know he really wants to see and know and understand and and uh, where he's at now and his knowledge factor is really, really cool to see. And Manano actually came in a year after I met Luis. And Manano, both of these guys are from Venezuela. Luis has been in the U.S. longer than Manano has. And you can tell from the accents on that, which adds a whole lot of spice to our show. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> You know, I mean, we razz each other, we tease each other. If anybody has ever listened to our show, um, we're we are so diverse. You know, Chav is ten years my senior. I'm going to be sixty years old. It, God, I can't believe I'm even saying that. It's just hard <laughs> to even believe, man. But I'm going to be sixty um, this November. Gilbert's uh, almost ten years. He's about eight years younger than me. And then you know it kind of goes down the line with the other fellows. And we have Brandon Houlihan, who's been hunting with us for the last three years. And I have brought in another bro because. The whole thing with elk bros is we are elk hunting coaches. That's what we do. And the whole design of our podcast is to coach people how to elk hunt, to teach them how to do that. Uh, that's why, in fact, that's why we came into existence. And it happened probably, I think it was the first year or the second year that I had the mafia. We call we call <laughs> Manano and Luis the Venezuela mafia. Yeah. That I had them in camp. Well, I had a little issue that year with a heart problem. I have a, um, I have a aorta that is oversized, and uh, so I mean, I mean, like this healthiest dude in in every sort of way, and then you know they find this kind of genetic defect in me. So they started having to do all these tests on me, and the guys were like at camp one year. They were like, Joe, man. 
dude, you got to do something. You just can't die and let that knowledge go, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, here I thought they were like, you know, you know, caring to worry about me. Like, no, man, we just want the freaking knowledge. Yeah, bro. they just want the brain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so they were after me to do something and they wanted me to either write a book or something. And that's just not me. And then, you know, I, 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 as a teacher, I taught video production, web design, um, graphic design, broadcasting. That's what I actually taught at the high school level. So, you know, the idea of taking my knowledge and putting this into, and I used to develop online courses for my students in my class. So to be able to do that with my coaching standpoint and my coaching style and connect my passions of teaching, coaching, and elk hunting. And, you know, I've been guiding elk hunters for over 25 years. This will be my 39th season um, hunting elk in the mountains. And, I mean, this is what I do. Elk are my critter. So there's the story, and those guys got me going. And so a year later, I called them and said, I'm going to do it, man. I'm going to start Elk Bros. We're going to do this. And the podcast came from really just trying to create a target audience at first for the Academy. Um, and, and I thought it was going to be the YouTube channel that would take off. And so we developed the Elk Rose YouTube channel. We developed the Blue Collar Elk Hunting. We started this podcast. And and it was the podcast that blew up. I mean, it's the yeah. thing, man. It's what people are doing. And, you know, so the, the rest has been history. We're 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 we will be we are still in our infancy we're just over two years old having started all of this and um this coming february will be our third year anniversary of starting this whole zoo and you know we've we've created our own camo um i'm now producing a grunt tube we've got uh hunt wars going on so we are developing a coaching staff that is what what I want is I want to develop and and find the the best folks out there, not just folks that have knowledge, but folks that are good at sharing that, that are good people person that have that teaching personality. And it's about giving. And since then, now we've brought in Cole Wilkes into our group. And you've seen Cole on the last couple of episodes. Yep. And, um, we have R.C. Knox, who is uh, one of our believe it or not, he's kind of one of our founders that is coming back in with the fold with us and as we develop this coaching staff. So it's like this real cool adventure, this real cool journey Elk Rose is on to do things to help people like yourself, um, people that are just coming into elk hunting or people that are veterans for 10 or 15 years that want to take their hunting to the next level. So, bro, that's Elk Bros. And and I named it that because it's not a, a guy's thing. It's because it was really to honor my brother Chav, our relationship, and all of those people that we have shared a camp with over the years. So that's why we had the name Elk Bros. So uh, I actually have two daughters, and one of them, she's a, she's a great hunter, man. I mean, she's just tremendous behind the rifle. So um, that's the story. Awesome. No, I mean, that's, like I said, there's so much information out there and, you know, to your point with the podcast, um, you know, I love YouTube videos, but podcasts are so much easier to consume with, you know, your drive to work, or maybe you're at the gym for an hour 
or you're just at home working in the shop or whatever. And, you know, so to have a, a podcast and, you know, I always like to talk to people and tell stories. So I kind of fell into this in a similar way about the same time. It was April of 19. I think I finally just decided that I wanted a podcast. And I, at the time I had yet to go on my first elk hunt. Um, but for, and, and I talk about this story all the time. I didn't go out West the first time until I was, I turned 40 in, in 2016. So my, my fiance took me out to Yellowstone for the first time, the Rocky mountains, uh, mid October, you know, to see all of that. And I was just absolutely blown away. And then I saw my first elk. Um, we were out in the Lamar Valley of Yellowstone and he coming up and over this hill and it was right before the sun went down and we were the only ones out there. So there wasn't like the tourist aspect and there was this huge bull elk and he came down and he fed along the road. And, um, I remember rolling the window down and he, like the wind blew right in and he just stunk, you know what I mean? He was, he smelled terrible, but he, to me, he smelled amazing. Cause I remember her, you know, telling her like, can you smell that? Can you smell him? He's like, he's still got the rut on him. She's like, roll the window up, you know? (laughs) Um, but I was hooked. I, I, something happened, you know, on my 40th birthday where it's like, I have to hunt these guys. I have to go on an outcome because coming from Ohio, um, I always just, and my, my older brother and I were talking about this the other day. It's like elk hunting sounded so cool as a kid. I mean, I remember, you know, bow hunter magazine and and things like that when they would do their big game issue back in the eighties and early nineties. And I was like, wow, elk hunting is another world. It's, it's, it's another world far away. And it's, yeah. And it's such an unattainable world for a guy like me or or so I, so it seemed. And, um, you know, years would pass and I, I, I kind of jumped into another expensive hobby. I started racing four wheelers when I was uh, in my early thirties and that took up all my money and all my time for basically <laughs> the last 10 years. And then, you know, I, again, we went on this trip and I just decided that uh, I need to plan a Western big game hunt. I, I need to do it. You know, I love bow hunting. I'm, I'm a whitetail guy at heart, uh, born and raised right into it. I grew up in the country where, you know, I, I tell, I tell this one all the time too, where, I could hop off the school bus when I was, you know, a kid, run through the front door in my school clothes and out the back door in my, my hunting clothes. So I, I was very privileged to have property to hunt on. So I've, you know, always loved that adventure aspect, but it it wasn't until probably five or six years ago, uh, a close friend of mine, uh, Todd, I, I said something to him about it once. And he's like, yeah, we went out there, my brother and I, and I'm like, would you hire guides or, He's like, no, man, you just buy a tag and you go out there. And I'm like, wait, stop. You're telling me you, I'm like public land. Like I legitimately didn't like, I just always had this thing. You have to hire a guide. You don't just go right. out in the middle of nowhere. And I was like, wait a minute. So you can go to like a Walmart and buy an elk tag and just like, where do you park your car? He's like, oh, alongside the road. I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, there's places like parking lots, but like some of these public land roads, you can just, you just pull off to the side and, you know, lock your stuff. I'm like, what you could, that's the thing you do, you know? So I just, I, I became more intrigued and, you know, kind of learning on my own. Um, and even five years ago, there wasn't the information that there is now. Right. I mean, I searched every podcast, I read every article and of course I consumed, you know, massive amounts of YouTube videos and, you know, following all these people on, on social media and everything. But the problem that I ran into Joe is you know, and I use this word all the time that, you know, the romanticism behind backcountry hunting. Right. And that, cause that's what I do. I didn't have a, 
you know, anybody to kind of go with. I, I did have a hunting partner on my first trip. Um, and, and it wound up being a solo trip. We don't have to get deep into that one, but, um, you know, the, the learning curve was just huge because once you get out there, you realize the mountains are so much bigger than they are, you know, uh, on, yeah. on, uh, on the, you know, the Onyx maps or, or Google earth, if you will, <laughs> and things like that. And, and you realize how much money you just spent and the mountains, I say this all the time, the mountains will kick your ass, whether you're wearing $2,000 worth of Sitka or $200 worth of Walmart stuff. And I, I raise my hand all the time and say, I'm the guy that dropped big money um, on my first trip, you know, and I worked really hard for a lot of that stuff, Joe. I, I, I worked a lot of overtime, a lot of voluntary overtime to acquire what I thought I needed and great gear, which I'm thankful that I have it now because it, it does serve its purpose and it's, its place. Um, but I learned probably within the first hour <laughs> of that first of that first elk hunt that like none of this is going to make the breathing the heavy breathing go away none of this is making my pack any lighter because i probably pack too much stuff you know right um, in there and, but and like so you, many people do that they're like from the back it, it's like almost like going backwards you know yeah. because you know you want to make sure yes that you have the right equipment but that that is a very relative term the right equipment and you know that it's great to have gear if you can afford to have the gear mm. but gear should and we say this all the time but gear should never keep you out of the woods or keep you from getting yeah. a tag or you know keep you from being able to hunt and you know i my story was just you know i grew up poor and you know um when I came out and when I got married at the age of 20, you know, we did not have the means for me to just start buying all this stuff. Luckily, I, you know, because I was a backwoods kid from the Carolinas, I had camouflage. Um, I had my bow already. I had, uh, you know, I had some arrows. In fact, you know, there's a story. I can remember one of my first hunts. It was a deer hunt uh, that I was hunting muleys, and I bumped into these guys from uh, another state that were here in New Mexico. And when they looked at my bow, I only had two arrows on there. And, and that's all I had, man. I had two arrows with broadheads on my bow. And they were like, yeah. well, you're a little low on ammo, aren't you? And, you know, I was like, I only need one. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was one of those answers. But it was because I just did not have, man. And, yeah. you know, I figured if I wasn't going to do it with the first shot, and I had one for a follow-up in case, but that's all I should have needed at that time. And I, would I have loved to add a full quiver? Heck yeah. But, yeah. you know, it costs money. Broadheads cost money. And, you know, I wasn't at that stage in my life when I had that. I mean, I was a poor college kid who was married and trying to survive doing the rest of things who was hunting on the weekends as well. And still, you know, able to kill things and, and bring them in. So, you know, a lot of people go out there thinking that they have to have this you know, they have to have the top of the line pack. They have to have this, um, you know, and you mentioned brands of camo. You know, I mean, camo has basically gotten so that it's, I mean, it's performance stuff. Yes, it's it's great. I mean, it can help you be out there in places longer. But, man, I just, I, I'm just not able to pay those prices. And I, and I kind of refuse to. To when I know that I can still go buy a seven dollar T-shirt on sale, man. I right. mean, or I can go to Camel Fire, or I can go to um, 
uh, uh, Black Ovis and those places and wait for sales to happen and buy some stuff from there. I can go to yard sales. Um, I can find things in multiple ways because, and, and I'm not somebody that likes to be the same camouflage from head to toe. I'm, I'm just not that you know, I don't. I don't used to say prima donna about it, man. But I, I mean, the elk don't care if I match. And, right. And I, actually, <laughs> I actually break up better wearing different camo and different yeah. areas. And you know, being somebody, you know, elk bros were creating camo. I'm actually, you know, we've got a camo top that we have out, and I, I want to produce a camo pant, but I, I don't want it to be the same. I want it to have some of the same elements, but change, just like it does out there in the hills when we're there. But you know, so many people invest in that stuff like you did, Jason, and then they get out there and they realize, like you said, they stop and they look around and it's like, where in the heck do I start, man? Where do yeah. I even begin, you know, with this whole thing? And so many people basically are hiking around with some very expensive equipment and hoping. They're just hiking and hoping, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Been there. <laughs> yeah. So, and 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 you're right. I mean, um, there wasn't. You had to read the the stories. You read the stories in Bowhunter Magazine, and th those were the things that really lit you up. It was like, man, I would love to do that, but it seemed so foreign. It just seemed like, yeah, you know, the Larry Jones and the Dwight Shoes and the Wayne Carltons that, that these were larger than life human beings that. You know, I, I, man, I wish I could do the things that they did, right? And, you know, once this whole realm of information started getting out, like we started a podcast like you, but I had never listened to a podcast until, you know, I was like, well, how do, what do we do to, you know, kind of get out there to our target audience? And, and I told Gilbert, there's this thing called a podcast. <laughs> this is like, yeah. this is not even three years ago. You know, there's this thing, right? Called right. a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and so when we started doing it, I would start listening to other people's podcasts. I would listen to, you know, Guy Duplanchet at Western Contours. You have backcountry rookies or people that we listen to. Shoot, Jim Huntsman just came out. But, I mean, he's somebody that I really, really love. You know, I, I would listen to the these different people doing their podcasts, um, Elk Talk, you know, the, you yeah. have Elk Talk out there, who's that's been one of the long running shows out there. And, you know, I, I, I would listen to these on my hikes for the first time to listen, you know, how do people put these things together? But the information, man, uh, that's out there, well, it was, it, it's amazing now. I mean, yeah. shoot, just from, the difference in, and we were thinking about this just the other day, the difference in the ability to know where you're at, and, you know, from having to buy those topo maps and kind of, you know, yeah. work within that topo map realm to having base map now or Onyx or something like that. It's amazing how much that has changed the ability to hunt for people like yourself. Yeah. Yeah. No. And to your point, you know, when I got out there the first time, you know, I had those things, I had Onyx maps and, um, you know, when we, we went out in July and we scouted this area that I, I wanted to hunt. And then when I got out there in September, I kind of had a vague, you know, it, it, going out there in, in July was like a huge slap in the face because it was like, right. wow, this is so, like you said, it's so much bigger than it looks like on Google Earth or Onyx Maps or any of these things. Yeah, so those I, contour lines, they lied to you, huh? <laughs> uh, 
yeah, yeah. And, and that was another thing too, like looking at, you know, topo maps for the first time when you you can switch back between like, you know, satellite imagery and, and, and topographical maps. And me being an Ohio guy, I live in Northwest Ohio where it's like pancake flat, right? So there are no contour lines over here, you know, it's just East and West or whatever. But, um, you know, to get out there and to see what those mean when you're looking at a map and you're actually on the side of this mountain and you're like, Oh, that, yeah, that, that means it's really steep, like really, really steep, you know, or the areas that you think like, well, we can just go up the side of this mountain here and run this ridge. And then you look up and the, the ridge is way higher and it's way far. Like you can't even see the top, you, you right. know, because of the, the steepness and everything. And it's just like, it's, it's a little overwhelming and a little um, intimidating at first. And fortunately we did take that trip and get some boots on the ground because it gave me that was huge it gave me time to like, okay, I've got like eight weeks to like ramp up my training because, you know, I threw a pack on out of my truck for the first time really in, in the mountains. You know, I packed it before I hopped on a plane to fly out there. Um, but like to really like put it on and hike with all this weight on, you know, my food and my jet boil and all this stuff. It was like, I remember like hopping off the tailgate and I was like, Oh no, <laughs> you know, I just had this sinking feeling cause they're like, okay, we're about to learn another lesson, um, on how to properly, you know, load up a pack or whatever. But again, you know, that first trip was, was a learning experience and I'm glad we did go out early because it, you know, gave me a chance to see the terrain, but it also gave like a really great amount of perspective of, you know, the reality versus like what you see on, you know, uh, TV or what do you see on, you know, Instagram or whatever. And right. um, yeah, that, that was, that was huge. And then that hunt itself ended up becoming a solo hunt, um, which fortunately I, I did get into a bull. I ended up calling in a bull this is the first time ever. And like you said earlier in the beginning, um, when I, when I heard that first bugle, like my very first bugle, I was down in this meadow and, you know, it was like lunchtime. So I just ripped off this bugle. You know, I've been practicing with my, my bugle tube, you know, all uh -huh. summer long or whatever. So I'm like, you know, and I send one out and it sounded, it actually sounded halfway decent. And I'm like, it echoed, you know, in the bottom of this big, you know, valley that I was in. And a couple minutes later, I'm like, oh, I don't hear nothing, you know? And then I started walking and I could hear something just kind of faint. I'm like, man, was that a bull? So I, I fired one back and it, he must've come down to the edge. Cause all of a sudden it was like, somebody had like megaphone speakers, you know, on the other side of this meadow. And when he fired off, like I, I, I told this to so many people, like I could feel it in my chest, you know, when he bugled, like I could, like the, like I was in this amphitheater, you know, kind of, and just the, the way it bugled was like, it almost hurt my ears a little bit. And he was still, you know, a ways off. And, um, you know, we played back and forth and to make a long story short, I, I didn't get a shot at the bull. He ended up winding me or whatever, but I did get to see him. You know, we did have a, like an encounter and it was um, like, that was the moment right there that I realized like one, like I'm doing this the rest of my life. There's mm -hmm. no way right. that I'm not going <laughs> to not like, I'm not going to miss a September ever, ever again. In fact, you know, kind of joke a little bit about it now, but like, our wedding got canceled last August and we were oh, going to no. try. Yeah. And we were going to try to do it in September. And I was like, no, 
And, <laughs> and, and I'm like, there's no way. She's like, what about the beginning? I'm like, no, there's no week in September that I'm going to do this wedding. And, and we, we kind of got into a little bit of a, you know, it got oh, a little, I can imagine where that yeah, would go. <laughs> yeah. It didn't, it, you know, I, I put my foot down. I mean, I, I mean, I was like, no, she's like, well, it's just one September. I'm like, no, it's not because a couple of Septembers, you can be like, we, we need to go on, you know, we need to go on our anniversary trip in the middle of September. I'm like, no, no, let's just avoid future arguments and just leave September alone. <laughs> alone. So we did, we're, we're actually getting married in July of this year and it's all going to work out. You know, lucky me. Cause you know, if it, <laughs> if it wouldn't have, but anyway, I, I digress. Um, but yeah, I, I learned one of the things I learned, Joe, after that first hunt, um, other than how, how amazing it was, was I, I, I paid too much for gear. Again, I, I love the gear that I have, but the money I spent, I probably could have afforded next, the following season's hunt, you know, right. um, because I ended up coming off the mountain early. I didn't buy, you know, a, um, like a garment in reach that first year. Cause I thought I was going to hunt with a buddy. So right. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't buy a communication device. And I learned really quickly that not being able to talk to anybody or if something would have happened, um, you know, from a safety aspect, you know, I didn't have any communication. So I went back onto the mountain after coming off and getting a hotel for a couple of days and just doing little day hunts. I finally come to the conclusion that it wasn't fair to my, you know, my wife to be or whatever, um, that she had no way of communicating or right. vice or vice versa. So that was the end of that first trip. And then to kind of summarize uh, 2020s trip, and I talk about it all the time. I went out to a unit. I was supposed to hunt with a dude and um, he ended up having to bail for work related reasons. And I was kind of stuck in this unit. I didn't do any other planning. I kind of left it all up to him. So I was letting him sort of drive the bus. And when I got to this place, I didn't have any prior boots on the ground. It was the you know, when I pulled up there, like September 17th, it was like first time. And I, I was overwhelmed. There was people, you know, there was, there's people on this road that were going back and campers and hikers and four wheelers and, and muzzleloader guys. And, uh, I didn't have a plan. I didn't have any kind of route planned of where I was going to go throughout the day. And I just kind of, like you said earlier, I, I put a pack on and went, well, now what? So I just right. hiked for a few days and it just really, um, it beat me up emotionally because I just, I'm like walking around going, I'm just walking around with this pack on. I don't even right. know where I'm going or what I'm doing or, or where elk are even at because this place is, you know, million acres, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Sure. And Absolutely. so, and so that's, you know, I started looking into some other courses and things like that, that were beyond just like elk finding, uh, tree line pursuits, um, you know, tree line Academy was one of those courses, uh, right. that I took this year and learned, you know, beyond just like elk, it was more in depth and, and that's really helped me out a lot this year. And, and I know you guys provide a service just like that too. Yeah. And, and that's the whole idea of that is, is that, you know, so many people spend so much money enormous amount of money like you said on gear and stuff that is <laughs> is designed for them to carry it around and what good is if is it carrying it around if you have no clue what you're doing and they don't invest in their knowledge because let me tell you what man you, you know you could you could have a bow that's um five ten years old that you bought from somebody you can go out and get some uh arrows for it that shoot get them so that they punch you know uh 
you know, bullet holes out there with a with a good solid broadhead on it. The whole thing costing you way under five hundred dollars, way under five hundred dollars. Depending, I mean, you might even be able to pick one of those up because it's hard for people to sell some of those in some of these yard sales. You might be able to pick one up a a, a solid bow for fifty bucks, twenty bucks, a solid bow, man, at some of these yard sales. You know, just because of it's it's a prior edition bow. Yeah. The bow that I used until this one that I have this year, uh, and I would still be using it if it wasn't for the circumstances of this journey I'm on now, but um, it's over 15 years old. Yeah. And that bow has 15 notches on it. I shoot instinctively. I shoot no pins. I shoot fingers. It is a compound bow, but I do everything as basic as possible out there, but yet, I'm very successful and it has, you know, the equipment. I know my equipment because I use it. I practice with it, but the equipment is a tool without the person behind it. You're nothing, man. I mean, it's all about what's between these two ears. It's about understanding the animal. You know, where you were at in that million acres, everybody looks at that million acres as a million acres and that's not where elk are, man. You've got to, you can't look at, you know, you can't look at it as a whole. You got to look at where these animals live, where they thrive, where they want to be, where they travel to. You, once you understand that, you've just eliminated a half a million acres, man. And you start to narrow things down to places so that you understand that. And, and then you've got all of the different processes, not only knowing where they are, but then working on locating. And then once you locate them, working on finding them, because that's two different things. You can locate where elk are, but now you got to get on one, right? Yeah. You got to, you have to create that encounter so that you have an opportunity. And then you have to know that now you're like, that dog that's been chasing that car you know once you once you catch it what are you going to do with it right yeah so yeah. you know once you get in that encounter and you create that opportunity being able to finish and you know that all of that knowledge factor that is what's huge that's there are so many people jason that are going to go out this year that are going to have an encounter, and they're going to do a lot of things wrong. They're going to do a lot of things that most of us are looking at. How in the heck, man, they're lucky or this or that. Um, and they're going to have an encounter. Anybody, hikers, bikers, cyclists, you know, anybody can have an encounter with an elk out there. It happens every day. But then once you have that, knowing what to do with that situation so that you can close the deal and punch that tag that is a huge amount of knowledge and understanding and knowing what to do in different situations and that's where the knowledge is so much more important yeah that's why i tell people you know don't just invest in you know it's like you going out there traveling out to get boots on the ground imagine if you didn't right if you hadn't done that i mean you at least came back and said, well, now, man, I got eight weeks left. I better do this, 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 and this. Yeah. And now at least you had that so that you had a little bit of a, a, a wake-up call. Imagine if you hadn't. And yeah. there's a lot of people that go out there in that very situation. Yeah, and I had that both years. The first year we, we went out on a boots on the ground trip in early July, mm -hmm. it, it gave me, like, mental confidence 
because I'd seen the area already. I knew some of the back roads, some of these little nuanced things that I mean, wasn't even thinking about, but it kind of gave me a sense of, oh, I've been here before, you know, right. and, and I could check a few things off the list. Plus, I, I do believe it saved um, some actual hunting time because we didn't have to fiddle around with, well, where do we go? What do we do? You know, when I, when I got on that elk, I knew right where to go. It was, <laughs> it was a lot farther of a hike than I wanted it to be. Um, but I knew where to go because I had, I had been in that area. And when you're looking at a map, you know, little features on a map, when you see it in person, obvious, it, it, it may seem obvious to some, but for some, they're just glassing right over it. Um, right. you see those places, those meadows, and you're like, I know what that meadow really looks like because I, I, I got to spend some time out there and the money you invest in a plane ticket, you know, versus a high quality piece of gear that you don't necessarily need this year might be the difference between a, a filled tag and, and not. And conversely, like I said, uh, 2020, I didn't fly out, you know, right. I hopped in a truck in Northwest Ohio. And I drove by myself 1400 miles <laughs> to the West. And I got out of the truck and was like, who like, like it was like this anxiety thing, you know, I, and like, yeah. I was almost mentally defeated, you know, um, before I even got there, you know, I talked myself off the mountain before I even, I even got there. And, and I left with a chip on my shoulder, Joe, because I, I know I, I could have done better. So this year has, has been all about no, very little to do with gear and everything to do with knowledge. So I, I guess one of the questions I wanted to ask you, and I know there's a lot of rabbit holes we can we can go down, but let's say that there's a, a guy or a gal that's committed to coming out. 2021 is their year. They're, they're making their first trip out. Um, and let's just assume that they've got enough gear to kind of make the trip. They've got whatever bow they've got. Right. They've, they've got their tent from Walmart. They don't care. They're buying some Raymond noodles and some, you know, some mountain house, or whatever. They don't care. They, they're just getting an OTC tag and they're heading out West, which I'm sure a lot of people that are listening, they're like, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> cause they are, um, what, what's the person, the, the first kind of piece of advice? Like, I know it's a very broad question of where do you start, but, but let's try to talk about it a little bit. Like, where does that, that person or those people, if there's a, a group of dudes that are, you know, elk bros themselves that are, they're heading out there, like, where do they actually start? Man, you know what? You could almost find a national forest area and, and everybody, they go through so much of like, where should I go? What should I? Okay. So you take Colorado, for example, Colorado has the largest herd of elk in the United States, right? So you could pretty much throw a dart anywhere in an area and go out there and find an elk, right? Now, uh, people go, well, there's so many people out there. You know, I, I try to tell people, okay, if you were to eliminate the worry about people on ATVs, people that are hiking, people that are hunting, uh, people that are driving around, people that are riding bikes, all of that. If you could just take all of that and eliminate it, where would elk be at? Where would their locations be at? And in other words, forget about all of those other things going on with all those other people and all that stuff. Focus on what you're out there to do. You're out there to find out about an animal and find that animal. You're out there to learn how to move through the woods and understand what's out there. Go out there with a whole different mindset. Go out there with a um, an exploration with the idea of doing a journey of becoming part of where you're at and really seeing 
where you're at and not just looking at it. I think that's the first piece of advice I tell people is to get a mindset. Um, you know, hopefully before they ever got there, they did what you were doing, Jason, is they worked on their knowledge factor. And what I tell people is, look, there is this information. There's this podcast you're listening to right now. There's uh, our podcast. There's multiple podcasts out there. Listen, man, because everybody has a little bit different take. But if you kind of listen to that different take, a lot of it is the same. And when you start yeah. finding those same little nuggets, it really, really helps you out to understand things. And don't think that there's a silver bullet. Don't hear somebody say, well, you buy this call and it works every time and they come in. No, it doesn't happen that way. Elk hunting is so dynamic. It is the perfect parallel to life. It's about putting in work, going out and taking chances, taking risks, getting in the environment, learning about the environment, and continuing to just grind at doing that. And not to beat yourself up mentally. Like, there are you know, a lot of people are going to do like you, Jason. They're going to go out there and they're going to go, okay, I came out to kill an elk oh my God, where do I start? And they've pretty much defeated themselves and they don't know where to go. Or they go out there and they've hunted for a day or two days or three days. And the third day is the real tough one because that's what I call the hump day where, you know, the first day you're excited. The second day, man, um, well, you still have some of that energy level. You're not quite feeling it. You're a little sore from the first day. But but that third day, that's the hump day, man, that you got to get over. And you get past that mentally and physically, then things start to come together for you. I, if, if I was to give one piece of advice, it'd be this. Don't go to the, the trailheads. Um, take a look at where the best water, so locate water sources, the best of your ability. So that's going to be like canyons, right? That's going to be like springs. That's going to be things like that. Once you locate water sources, you've located one of the elements that that elk have to have. So you want to go to those places where elk will visit, yeah. either a food source or a water source. Go to, to those. From those, now you can find out once they visited where they're going. There's going to be a thing called trails. And my, you know, to me, if I want to find an elk, I travel where they travel. That's the number one thing I want to do. And that's elk trails. And you're going to have those that come out of, go into water sources and feed areas. And to me is if you, you know, if you want to go find somebody in their house, there's a couple ways you can do that is you can go in there and you know that they're going to go to the kitchen. You know that they're going to go to the sink and they're going to use a hallway to get there from their bedroom to the kitchen and the sink. So I've just told you right there, basically how to look for them. Now there's one other thing though, and this is the game changer. The absolute game changer is when I go into a house and I don't find somebody, if you go into a house and you don't find your fiance there or you don't see her right off, what do you do, Jason? Call her. <laughs> you call her. You call out. Yeah. And she comes. And and that is key 
to hunting elk is being able to speak the language, being able to call. And and that doesn't mean, you know, that you've got to go down every mountain just screaming a bugle and expect an animal is going to come in. That's what people kind of think what calling is about, right? I, I Look, if, if I could tell anybody on, on calling, learn how to do a cow call, learn how to do a location bugle. If you can do those two things, you can do multiple calls yeah. just by a change in um, inflection of your voice, volume, tone, you know, just by bringing that up or down or giving it more air or making it longer, you know, you can change what that sound is. If you learn how to speak the language of elk, you will totally change yeah. your experience because now not only are you going into their house, but if you're not able to see them or find them or locate them, you can call out to them and have them come to you. And, and that is huge. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of great tools out there for that. Um, uh, I can't think of the guy's name off the top. Uh, Elk nut. I think oh, he, Almondale, man. Yes. Yeah. yeah he's got a really cool app that you if, can actually download on your phone. Um, and he does if you really do not have Paul Mandel's app <laughs> in your phone. If you are not using <clears throat> that, uh, a, $10 app that should be, I mean, the amount of information in yeah. that, that you can get out of that. It, there, <laughs> If you don't have that, I don't know what to say. I really don't yeah. because it is the, the bomb. And, you know, what Paul gives you years and years of experience in that app. And, and hopefully as you do it, he kind of gives you a little bit of a playbook here and there, and you're going to learn to change that playbook according to, you know, what's going on, but don't overcomplicate it either. Don't overthink it. Yeah. Don't, you know, don't try to go, Oh, let's see, you know, did he just say I'm going to dinner at 12 and I'll be back at <laughs> right, yeah. you know, don't think too hard about it. Yeah. The same yeah. thing with, with ducks. I learned, you know, young hunting ducks that, paying attention to kind of how they were talking, you know, kind of dick. Cause a lot of guys will just, wah, 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 and they just hammer, 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 hammer the call. And it's like, it's almost unrealistic. Cause it's like, man, I never hear ducks just ba 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 ba. You know, I never hear them really doing that. And this, and the same with, with elk, even in my, my limited experience, but, you know, listening to him call and, and, and talk about the different, you know, types of vocalizations um, and, and elk don't always make that pristine, the little, you oh, know, no, absolutely I, you know some of them are really rugged and rough in fact the i was I mean, <laughs> messing with he was he he had he he sounded really good but there was a couple that were like wait a minute is that a hunter there was a few times that i'm like i'm calling a dude in or a dude's calling me in you know so let me, now right there with that here's here's something I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a nugget right here um i don't care how bad the elk bugle sound noise is cow calls are a little different cow calls you know they're, they're a little bit harder to discern but i don't care how bad it is go check it out that's a rule in my yeah. camp is go check it out and there's two reasons number one is a lot of times it's a bull and you think it's another hunter because it sounds so bad yeah and sometimes it's a hunter but when you go and you meet that hunter there's a couple things that happen with that number one they know there's a hunter in the area 
they they might decide to leave the area because there's another hunter there. I don't know, you know, um, or you get information from that person. You might get some valuable information. You might not. It's it's just kind of sometimes it's good recon in there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but I, I cannot tell you how many times Leroy Chavis, you know, uh, we'd get back to camp and he'd go, Joe, man, he goes, uh, uh, I was going over such an area, but I heard you calling right there. And I go, where, man? And he goes, oh, we're right there. And I say, like, dude, I was three miles away. You know? <laughs> so it was, you know, he thought it was me and it, and it was an elk. So yeah, always check that out. Right. Yeah. No, that's a, that's, that is great information because when I did initially hear that first bugle, I said it was the first time ever. So immediately I'm like, there's no way a bull responded to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it kept coming back. And there may have been two bulls the way the one was so close. And then he, he was with his cows. Cause I did end up bumping one cow. And so he was with them kind of up and over this little ridge, you know, we were down on these little benches and um, we were bugling back and forth. And I kept walking towards him was what I was doing. And kind of a rookie mistake. I was just bugling right at him. So I can't think he just kind of knew exactly where I was, but he wasn't coming any closer. He, he, I just could keep hearing him in this one spot, this one spot. And then I think it was Paul's course. I remembered like the, like the cutoff bugle where I just bugle right, right over top of him. Yeah. Just cut and, him off, slap him in the face. That is, it, that's all it took. Like yep. he had had, a, like that was the one where he had had enough. And as soon as I started to, you know, I bugled over top of his bugle and he come up and again, the wind switched and, but I did get to see him, <laughs> you know, I did, you know, he materialized big dark chocolate legs and the creamy hide and then, you know, bigger antlers than I thought I was going to see. I wasn't expecting to see, you know, the bull that I did. He was, he was really impressive. Um, and you were hooked forever. Man. Oh yeah. I didn't know where to throw <laughs> up or cry. You know, I do remember like, cause I, I grabbed my phone and I like, you know, hit record real quick. Cause I, I just wanted to like capture it. And I remember yeah. like sitting down and I had my phone with me and I'm just like, ah, I gotta sit down. <laughs> I just, so I went <laughs> both knees and I'm like, I've never had an adrenaline rush of all the whitetail hunts. And I've shot some, you know, some decent bucks over the years and had some amazing, you know, adrenaline pumping, you know, whitetail encounters. Um, but nothing in this world had you know, like almost too much adrenaline to the point where it was like, it, I almost couldn't contain it. Like, it was almost so, so the mafia calls that the Viralakes, man. <laughs> they, <laughs> I had it. Uh, amen. <laughs> I, I had it. And it was like, holy smokes. And it's like, yeah, it, it, it was an awesome experience. But again, I, you know, those little bits of, knowledge you know because i yep. i knew right then and there it's like oh there's this thing i can try well and, 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 and so that's I did. why <laughs> that's why gaining the knowledge from listening to all this stuff from going and taking courses i don't look go take every freaking course you can they're not that expensive man and, you, and you're 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 paying thousands of dollars for this gear change that over man limit that down and then put knowledge yeah. in yourself because you think about this if you go out for seven days, you hunt elk for seven days every year. For five years, you go out there, you get a month's worth of experience in five years, man. You know, I mean, in uh, five years is a lot off the lifetime. I mean, that starts to cut away at what's in the windshield. More stuff ends up in the rearview mirror. Yeah. So, you know, the more that you can flatten that learning curve, 
the better your experiences are going to be. I truly believe that I can go anywhere and I can locate elk if there's elk in the country. And it's just because, you know, it's kind of like when guys go to a lake, they know when you look at a lake, you can look at certain parts. You don't look at the whole lake. You go, oh, man, look at that tree right there sticking up. There's a bass in that. Yeah. You know, you, you, you know what looks fishy. Right. And you get that same feeling with elk after a while. You start to understand those same things. And you and the great thing about listening to all this stuff is you don't make the same mistakes or you don't have to make the same mistakes that all of us have made that took us 40 years to get those. You know, you'll learn that no matter what, you have to draw your bow. You learn that really the most critical thing is a setup. If you don't have a good setup, I don't care what that bull's doing, man, you're not going to get that. You know, you're going to learn that just because elk are silent doesn't mean that there's not elk in the area. You you know, uh, are you going to hunt bugles or are you going to hunt opportunities? You know, if you're just out there hunting bugles, you're going to be real disappointed if the animals aren't talking. You know, you're going to learn the difference between a quality shot and a marginal shot because, man, there's some guys, Jason, that will be out there and in their first five years, they might have already stuck three bulls. They might have had those opportunities, stuck three bulls and never recur- recovered those animals because their only goal was to put an arrow in that animal and they end up taking a marginal shot and they never able, able to recover it. So there's a, a, a lot of things like that that you're going to learn from other people's mistakes and, and try and so that you don't have to overcome those yourself. Yeah. And I, and I think that is a good point too, especially, you know, I, I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget to ask when bulls aren't talking because, because mm-hmm. I think, and myself included, I go out there with the um, preconceived notion that there's going to be a lot of bugling going on. You know, I, I've hunted late September the last two times. And to be honest, other than that one encounter, um, I never heard any other elk, not to say that they weren't there and they probably were, but you get a little bit discouraged. So what do you do when you get into those situations when the elk are just, or the elk are just quiet? Because there's a lot of ground you could cover uh, on that. So if you have an experience like that, what do you, what do you kind of suggest to, to, so, so my, like, again, like I told you before, when, when you start finding out where elk are visiting, where their food and their water sources that they're, they're going to, because, you know, uh, they have their, their night areas and they have their day areas. They have their night beds, they have their day beds, and they have what I call the transition areas in between. When you start discovering where those are, um, then you start learning where you want to be to locate them. And yeah, I want to use those those water and those feed areas to tell me where they are and to find those areas where they're bedding during the day. Because now I am going to work through those bedding areas. I'm going to, and look, everybody always hears Northeast faces. Well, it could be, I mean, you could be out in flats and there could be a giant arroyo that's, that's thick and elk can be down in that. They're going to be someplace that it's thick, that it's cool, um, that they have security. Now, most most of the time that means those northeast faces but not all country is built the same way just understand that but when you find those thick areas where they can bed where they can feel safe 
I always like to move through those. And when they're not talking, I, I hunt quiet elk all the time. But what I do is I understand that a response is more than just a bugle. A response can then be coming into me silently. So I will actually take on the realm of being the elk of a small herd, a small group of cows, a bull that's advertising with some cows that he has with him. And I will portray those pictures. And actually, instead of me having to go to elk, I have elk come to me, whether they're going to be silent, whether they're going to grunt, whether they're going to chuckle, whether they're just going to give a cow call to give that away. Um, They don't always have to bugle for you to locate them. So I'm going to try to find those areas, and I'm going to hunt where they're going to be most of the day, and that's their bedding areas. And I'm going to move through those slowly, sounding like cows inside there, and I'm going to listen for sounds, and I'm going to look for those animals coming into me. If I catch a smell, if I see fresh sign in an area that's steaming, so if I have some droppings that are steaming down there, they're that real light green, they're real warm, they're real smashable, I can smell that urine, I know that I've got elk in an area that if I start portraying a scenario of other elk, that I'm likely to pull them to me instead of me having to go find them. When you can reverse those tables, that's huge. But you just got to get in those areas and try to locate where elk are. You don't necessarily have to find them. You have to locate where they are. And that's what I do when they're quiet. I, I hunt silent elk all the time. And I realize that a lot of times when we don't hear those animals, is it could be for a couple of reasons. It could be, number one, that... Um, We weren't out there when they were bugling. In other words, most people were in their camp uh, when elk are screaming out there at night under the moon or in the dark or when they're comfortable. So most people are in camp and maybe they're over ridge where they don't hear it. Or um, those elk have already got up into the trees and those sounds aren't carrying as much or the wind has gone up or they're just one ridge over and they could be going nuts on the other side of the ridge and you don't hear them because you're just over there. I mean, I have I have finished being in a rut fest, and I've gone over a ridge, gone down maybe 400 yards, bumped into another hunter. And I said, so how's it going? I have, they're just not talking, man. They're just, I mean, it's <laughs> silent out here, right? And I was just in elk going nuts, not a half mile away from this person that they never even heard it. So, um, you know, elk are making noises or they are responding, and it, it, again, if you're just hunting the bugles, and you're you're a lot of times walking by elk. So that's why I told you earlier is that if people change their mentality from not just looking but seeing, right? If if they're noticing what's happening around them, if they're looking at the sign, if they're using their nose, if they're using their eyes, if they're using their ears all together as a tool instead of just hunting a bugle, they're going to have way more success. Yeah, absolutely. So, so your typical day, like how would it, how would it start out? You've, you've already, you're in an area that you're confident in, you've set up camp and things like that. Are you going straight to somewhere where you're maybe going to glass and just spend some time sitting and listening? Or are you a little bit more aggressive and you're maybe, you know, kind of heading for uh, above a bedding area or how does that typically work for you? So for, for me, I, I hardly very, 
rarely ever glass. It depends on, the, but very rarely do I glass. I like being in the trees where the animals are going to be going, where they're transitioning from. So um, I like to be uh, already at a level high enough that a lot of animals are below me and coming up to me. And I like to work so that, and, and a lot of people that come from Ohio, come from, you know, Wisconsin, different places, don't understand thermals, but that's a whole different science and a different conversation. But I like to work so that I have either a crosswind or a headwind or something like that. And I am working through areas, hopefully with elk actually moving up towards me. I want to be in an upper, in the upper areas so that if I hear elk down below, um, I know that those elk are most likely moving up, either moving up to me or they're moving up to, you know, if they're in the bottom, they might move up on the other side. Yeah. But uh, I like to be in an upper level and I like to be in the trees and I like to work um, kind of around what I call the knuckle area of ridges. And w what that is, is if you, if you, you, you have all these finger ridges that elk use and there's there's one thing about mountains is when you follow those finger ridges at the bottom the the where one finger ridge comes out versus this other one can be miles away at the bottom we're at the top everything gets closer so i like to work more at the top across what i call where those finger ridges kind of come together up there what i call the knuckles of the mountain i like to work those because i'm able to cover a lot more area back and forth and i know the elk are going to be moving up either those finger ridges up top or they're going to use paths in between those finger ridges but they're still all coming up to the same areas up there that's me my typical day starts probably an hour to a, a two hours in the dark before daylight so i like to be moving in the dark listening um communicating calling into and when i call my typical day, I start with, I'm, I'm cow call oriented first. I, I'm always lover before I'm a fighter. And I'm going to call from near to far. In other words, I'm just going to use my mouth for a cow call. Yeah, yeah. Just nice and relaxed because you never know. And people, even when you come out of camp, man, people think, oh, I'm in camp. There's no elk. That's that's one of the biggest mistakes ever, man. Uh, it, that's not true. So I'm always starting near to far. I give cow call with my mouth. Then I'll use my grunt tube with a cow call just to send it a little further. And if I don't hear anything there, and don't just do it right away. Make sure you listen. Let things settle down. Sometimes they don't respond back right away. Or sometimes another elk responds that you don't hear that causes another elk in between you to respond. So, you know, then I'm going to go with my location bugle like that. And as I'm moving, I'm going to sound like a small group of cows as I'm moving. I, I just, I like to... Um, use that noise that I'm making with that to sell that picture. And then, you know, hopefully I'm, I'm working in the upper areas where they're down below me. If I have put one to bed that's down in the bottom in a park like you were talking about, I will probably be already in that park or near where that bull, where I, where I last pegged him an hour before daylight. Uh, and that starts a different situation. But if, so the, the less information I have, Jason, like it, the less information I have on where the elk are and what they're doing or haven't had one located, the higher I'm going to be. I guess that's a good thing to say. Okay. Yeah. The more information I have, the more I'm going to be where that animal has already been pegged or located. Okay. And 
that might start me in a bottom. But you got to know this. Anytime you start with elk in a bottom in the morning, you better get ready because they're going up. Makes sense. Yeah. So when you start working that, understand that as if that bull starts bugling and he starts going away, he's not going away because you've scared him off or because uh, he doesn't like your bugle um, or because he, you know, just because he has cows. Yeah, it, he most likely is with cows, but they move up to go to their bed. They're going to a destination. So at some point in that morning, you're only going to have a small window that they're going to be down at the bottom before they start heading up to their bedding area. And if I were you um, and I did not have that bull coming or working towards me in the morning in that first situation, I would try to get up as close to paralleling on the same level as them and move up with them paralleling to until they get towards a bedding area. Because now you have just totally changed your situation. Most people are in that park in the morning and they... they have that animal and they're working that animal and all of a sudden they go off, they go off, they go off, they go off and then they no longer hear them. And they're like, hunt's over. I got to try to find another bull. And if they don't find one because they're down in the bottoms when everything's going up, well, they're done with the hunt. Now they're going back to camp. When actually, had they gone with that group or attempted to because it's not easy, and that's why I mean don't trail behind from 300 yards. Try to get towards their level um, so that you're paralleling them you know, so that you are on the downwind or down thermal side and try to move with that group up. Yeah. Because again, as they start to go up, if you're paralleling, things get smaller at the top. You might either get an opportunity or at least you're going to shadow them till you put them to bed. And now you know where they are for the next six hours. And that totally changes your hunt right there. Yeah. So in that point, when you do put them to bed, do you just wait for them to move again? Do you get into a position and say, okay, I'm just going to hang out and wait for like the evening movement? Or do you start to kind of slowly, methodically work your way in with cow calls into that bedding area and try to get that bull to come out? Or, or is it just kind of like question. a 50-50? Great question, because there's variables with that. I mean, variables with the wind and what happens with the situation where you're at. But optimally, I'm going to let him put them down. I'm going to let them relax. I'm going to let them start doing their thing. And that bull's going to want to get back up. And so what I do at that point is I find my best setup situation. In other words, I'm looking for a tight setup. I'm looking for a tight setup using terrain or using uh, the, the growth that's there. And when I have that, now I'm going to put put on a scenario where I'm going to try to pull that bull to me, where I'm going to make him think there's another bull that's come into the area that possibly has another cow that might be in estrus, that might be hot, because a, a cow that is hot is much more, is going to pull that bull way faster than that group of cows he has bedded down, that, that he knows where they're at. And a lot of times they will get up during the day to go get a drink or to eat something, especially Look, y'all, people say they don't like to hunt in the full moon. I love the full moon because it's great for locating and it makes them go to bed earlier. And so that means they're going to move around a whole lot more when they're in their bed. So I try to find that optimum area and I try to do a call in. If that doesn't work, I'm just going to relax there for a while. He might sound off on his own when he's ready to go. And then when I hear him sound off, now I'm going to try again, maybe another type of scenario or now I can start working them in the transition once they start moving. And the, the great thing about when you find elk in a bed, 
is they have a tendency to attract other elk. So if that bull does start to sound off, I guarantee you there's going to be other satellites that are going to hear him satellite, uh, sound off that are going to come into the area that are going to create other opportunities for you. Locating where they're at in their bed, live animals that are smelly, that are real, that are putting off scent is, I mean, it's bait. Yeah, no, absolutely. In fact, I, we were talking about this, my, my hunting partner and I, it's going to be his first year elk hunting. Um, we were discussing cause he had been reading some articles about the moon phase and I'm glad you brought that up. And it's like, geez, it's like, I think the full moon is like September 20th. And a lot of guys are like, Oh, it's just going to be a terrible month this year. This, this September is going to be terrible for elk hunting cause the full moon couldn't be in a, in a worse spot. And he's like, well, do you think we should just go in the beginning of the month? And I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, and my, my thinking was kind of the same thing. It's like, look, you know, and I don't want to get into a huge debate with anybody about moon phase. Cause I know a lot of people are really passionate about it. And especially in the whitetail world, um, mm -hmm. there's a lot of talk around the, the moon phase during the, the whitetail rut. And it's like, you know, I've hunted every day in November and I can tell you to your point that, you know, the moon phase is good for activity at night, obviously. And then like you said, the earlier bedding, um, and it's just a matter of tweaking that, that hunt schedule, your own hunt schedule to what you just said was knowing that they're probably going to go to bed. You're going to have a smaller window in the morning, but that afternoon might be killer. Um, yeah. and, and you kind of already answered my question, but I, I just wanted to reiterate that because we are planning to go, somewhere between the 15th and the 30th. I'll, I'll probably be in there that last two weeks of, of September, knowing full well that the full moon is right around, like I said, the 21st or yeah, something. Yeah, like. yeah, it, it's it's right in that area. And the thing is, though, that afternoon might be killer, but not at their final destination because they're going to be moving and feeding in transition from their bedding, and they're going to be moving in those trees. So the best place to be is, between that feed area and their bedding area and that transition area is where it could be killer and they're not in such a hurry they're not in as much a hurry in the afternoon as they are in the morning it seems like and and that depends too on again pressure and you know how you know who's already been calling them and what you know as far as that goes but i i think in the afternoon i think they're a lot more lackadaisical and then they know they have the full moon they can pop out in the in their you know their night bedding and feeding area after dark you know they don't have to be down there by then so um i just remember you know when people talk about moon phase when they worry about it is that Half the battle of killing an elk is locating an elk. And they, in the moon phase, they are going to be screaming like crazy at night. And that means that you have an opportunity to locate them if yeah. you're out there utilizing that moonlit night to locate them. Then you can put them to bed, man, and you can be on them at daylight and and then, you know, work from there. So, yeah. you know you got to take advantage of whatever you're given. Yeah. And that's what I've been kind of preparing myself for, you know, the maybe going to bed later or getting up quite a bit earlier just to listen, you know, 
two, three o'clock in the morning. I'm sure I won't be sleeping, you know, as soundly as I do <laughs> when I'm at home, especially for the first couple of days. You know, I probably will have some uh, some sleepless nights there. But yeah, I, I have given that quite a bit of thought as opposed to, you know, different times of the year. So I kind of, you know, I feel a little bit better now because we have sort of a similar take. Um, I just have a lack of time with, uh, you know, the, the actual overall experience, but, you know, pulling it from what whitetail experience I have, it's, it sounds, you know, somewhat similar there. Um, and again, you know, God, we could go on and on. We're running it just a little over an, an hour here. Um, yeah. And there's so much other information to cover, but I think really what we talked about today, Joe, was in my opinion, and I'll go back to the beginning of the conversation, you know, good gear is great. Don't get me wrong, but like you said, we get to a point in our lives and I'll, I'll be 45 in, you know, October, which I'm, I'm not a young man, but I'm not an older man either. But I, I am starting to kind of be cognizant of, you know, the, the things are starting to shift where there may be, you know, a, a few less, you know, uh, sunrise, you know, sunrises and sunsets and, yep. um, you know, like you, you, the, the analogy that you used about uh, there's more in the rear view than there is in the windshield. And, right, yeah. you know, I joked around with, you know, about the, the argument, you know, with, with Michelle about having the wedding in September. And obviously she's more important than elk hunting is and, and things like that. But I just know that like, I've only, this is what I do and who I am. Right. You know, um, so we had to compromise there because I, I just, anything I can do to get back out every September. Cause it's, it, it's not cheap. It's, you know, especially in the economy that we have now, we're looking at $3 a gallon for gas here in my hometown. Sure. And it's going to be literally twice as expensive fuel wise to go out there this year. Um, yeah. and, and everything else is more expensive, it, you know, the cost of food and, and, you know, everything. And, um, I guess the point I always try to make almost every show, and this is kind of why I, I started this podcast because I didn't really know what I was doing when I started. I just knew I wanted to tell stories and share my experiences. Um, you know, just buy the tag and, and get out here, you know, it, That's put, it. put your money into a good pair of boots. Cause you're, you're going to be on your feet every single day. So I wear tennis shoes, Jason, <laughs> or a good pair of tennis shoes, whatever's yeah. <laughs> comfortable. Uh, but really it's, it's knowledge. Like I said, there's all these different courses that are out there. Um, and, and you're right. You should take all of them. Elk 101, Treeline Academy, Elk Bros, you know, some of these courses are give or take right around a hundred dollars, some a little less, some a little more. Um, but guys have no problem dropping a few hundred dollars on a coat, you know, or a yeah. jacket or a shirt that they think they have to wear because their favorite hunting, you know, celebrity or whatever is sponsored by them or, or wearing that kind of thing. Um, invest in yourself. That the, is yeah. the best investment. Yeah. Man. Because I came off, like I said, I came off that mountain in 2020, um, and I had two weeks to hunt if I wanted to. And I just got dejected after like five days mm -hmm. and I left a whole week on the mountain that I can never get back. And, and, you know, you made a point earlier about, you know, you hunt seven days, you know, in, in a season and it's, it's once a year. So it takes you five years to get a month's worth of experience Absolutely. out there. And, and that's a great perspective because most of us that are listening are coming from Ohio or, you know, east of the Mississippi River. So we don't have the luxury of just spending time in the mountains year round or, you know, through August and September or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I, for me, I, I will always kind of pound home the, you know, if you've got the extra money, 
get a cheap plane ticket, you know, <laughs> rent, rent in a car and come out and get boots on the ground. Or instead of buying that jacket this year, buy the, you know, buy the course and learn some topography or maybe go to a land navigation course and learn how to read a map and put those pieces of the puzzle together. And, you know, going back to you and, and you said you had 14 days and you left seven days on the table, man, you, you actually let you, you left a year of experience on the table. You had the opportunity to disregard the fact that, okay, um, I'm dejected because this is big and I'm hunting elk and I don't know where they are. Well, you had an opportunity just to go out if you would have faced it again with the mental perspective of, I'm going to go out here and just learn about the mountains and yeah. see if I can learn about this animal and just become part of the woods and try to gain some experience. And I think if people go out there with that, now I'm not saying go out with low expectations. I, I, I hate when people set up, you know, like, like you were talking about the moon, they go, oh, it's terrible to hunt because of the moon or it's too windy or there's rain. And look, I, I hate excuse hunting because there's something great in every element that's out there on windy days is great for stalking. I mean, there's like all kinds of different things that you could talk about there. But whatever you do, even that's like after you get done killing an animal, if you have that animal taken care of and you have the meat taken care of and it's in the cooler and you still have two days left, shoot, man, get out there in the hills and utilize that for experience. Yeah. I mean, you dream about this. We talk about this. I keep reading everybody like, oh, there's three months left or there's six months left and then there's 20 days left and they, they live 350 days for those seven to 10 days and then when they get there, they're going, well, I'm not getting enough sleep or I'm not eating enough or yeah. No, man. I mean, I'm tired. I miss home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's seven days that you got to suck it up and, and gain, you know, go out there and hunt. That's why it's called hunting, man, is is that's what the word's all about. It's, you know, you didn't go out there. It's not it's not called killing. It's not elk killing, even though that's yeah. our goal. We have to hunt them up. And that takes that, man. And so, you know, you can do this. You can do it, Jason. The people that are listening can do this. Anybody can do it. Um, you can do it on a low budget. You can do it on a high budget. But the key is get the tag, get in the woods and learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. In fact, like I said, my main motivation was just like you said, I I lost a, a, a full season of hunting by, you know, for whatever the excuse was to, to come off early right. off the mountain. And it, it is such an adventure. And, you know, once I'm halfway down the road and I got the mountains in the rear view, it's like, I wanted to turn around. I wanted to go exactly. back. And it's a crazy feeling. And I try to explain it to people all the time. Like I just got, you know, my butt handed to me for a few days and I, I couldn't wait to get in the truck and leave. But now I'm just like, I want to go back. You know, I got home. I drove straight home. I was back in like 24 hours. And I, I told Michelle, I'm like, why am I here? Like, I want to go back. Like if it wasn't for the fact that I lost, you know, my brake pads and rotors got destroyed on the way home. I, I, I'd be back. I'd be turning around and packing my bags. And, you know, because I have, a, you know, this, this desire to now I get it. You know, like I totally, once I was at home, I understood, like, like you said, Joe, it's, it's beyond filling a tag, which is, you know, the icing on the cake. That's why we're, you know, that's why we're going out there with a bow. But at the same time, you know, I shortchanged myself on just mountain knowledge and that's the real focus this year and i and i hope that we can have a conversation after elk season's over phil sure. tag or not um <laughs> I, I definitely love to catch up with you and, and and share my experience hopefully i 
hopefully I get you know a bowl on the, the very last day and I can get all those extra days, but I won't be upset if it's the first day, you know, I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth or, or whatever. If it's the first day, then get that animal taken care of and then get back out in the woods, go yeah. help somebody else, man, you know, uh, find somebody, mentor them or find somebody, let them mentor you more. Tell them, yeah, Hey, I'll be your video guy. Just get in the woods, you yeah. know, just stay out there and get that experience. Awesome. Well, Joe, Julia, I, I do appreciate it. Um, you've taken time out of your day. I, I know you're getting ready to kind of go off the grid for uh, yeah. <laughs> some time there. I, I told that to my, <laughs> I told that to Michelle and she just looked at me like, see, See, other people can do it too. You can you can shut your phone off for a month and, and do all that. But we're going to be doing that here in, in, in about 45 days when we get married. We're going to kind of go off the grid. I for our, our, that too, man. Yeah, yeah. And, and happy anniversary. I know your your wedding date is uh, the week before ours. So we'll yep. always kind of have that that close connection there. So again, Joe, before we, we head out today, uh, just run us through one more time where we can uh, find you and your guys' content. So you can find anything and everything elk bros at elkbros.com that's e-l-k-b-r-o-s.com i mean we have connections to our podcast or video um we are now going to be going with waypoint tv as uh with their network we're kind of excited about that so we're going to be adding that addition but it's not going to change for our listeners going to change for our viewers nothing like that um you can find our store there you can find our academy there and there are stories that we put on we have uh, a lot of different links all things elk man so elkbros.com easy to find Awesome. And, and like I said, you know, with the, uh, the, is it the public land or blue collar, blue collar hunter, blue collar elk hunting, blue, blue collar, collar elk hunting podcast. Um, yep. I've got no problem promoting other people's podcasts. Cause I'm listening to you guys. There's a lot of episodes that I haven't, uh, you know, I got a lot of catching up to do. Um, so, you know, I've enjoyed what I've heard so far in, in the videos and everything and the camaraderie that you guys, uh, share with each other. It's, it's really cool. So again, you know, for those that are listening, um, I definitely, you know, like to push you guys after you listen to my podcast, of course, push you guys uh, into into that direction. You know, listen to this one because every day is a holiday. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, only with two L's. You got to spell it with two L's. Uh, so, Joe, again, thank you so much. Um, enjoy, enjoy the rest of your, your day. And, and again, appreciate you for your time. You betcha. Peace, peace, man.